Hello and welcome to The Dirt, the podcast that is rooting for you every step of your gardening journey. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, deputy editor. This special mini-series is in association with the National Trust. And if you keep listening, we'll tell you how you can get 10% off everything on their online shop. And in fact, we're joined for this episode, as we will be for all of the episodes in this series, by Simon Toomer. National Specialist in Plant Conservation at the National Trust. Hi, Simon. Hello there. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yep, the rain stopped here, so um, yeah, and that's a lovely view out of my window. Oh, lovely. Yeah, glad that the rain that the rain stopped. It's been a heavy one today, hasn't it? It has. So before we get into our big garden clinic with you, we wanted to ask you a few of our classic dirt questions, as well as a couple of new ones, just to get to know you and your life in gardening a little bit more. So, firstly, what has been your biggest success in your gardening career? Well, I came to gardening in, certainly garden horticulture in quite a, a roundabout sort of way, really. And I, before I worked for the National Trust, I, I was actually um, director and curator at um, Westenburg, at the National Arboretum. So one of the most exciting things, really, for me was helping to develop the, the tree collection there. And, and one, of, one, of the, one of the most memorable things I did in the years that I worked there was... Um, planting uh, a, the the collection of Japanese maples. It's it's a group of plants that Westenburg is particularly well known for. And um, very often when you're gardening, you know, you have, you, you're, you're inheriting what other people did and looking after that. But this was quite a, an unusual opportunity to actually do something, something new um, mm-hmm. and in a designed way. So we actually creating a, a completely new a collection of Japanese maples for, for for their autumn color and their general interest it was a really exciting thing. You know, being able to do it from scratch with such an exciting group of plants. So yeah, that really does stick in my in my memory. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really great. And um, what did you have any sort of big challenges around that? Because as you say, if it's a something new that you're doing, was there anything that you had to overcome? when you were doing that well it was i suppose the biggest the biggest challenge really was that japanese maples like a particular kind of light conditions and soil conditions and we were starting from um from a a a, a plantation of larch that had existed there before so thinning that to get just the right light conditions and then and then establishing the path network and everything they're challenges but they're really exciting challenges Mm. if you know what i mean you know they're they're opportunities and um you know, it wasn't it wasn't challenges of of you know limitations in terms of soil or anything. It was more just making sure you get it right because when you're doing something really new, you know, you you, you get one opportunity to, to to really get it right. So, yeah, yeah it was it was a, a really a really interesting project and um, and one that you know obviously with trees you can go back year after year and and for me the real pleasure sometimes is going and watching the people looking at the area and seeing you know how how much pleasure they get from it so um, yeah that that's a that's a great yeah. sort of thing that I you know yeah. look back on that must be such a satisfying thing to have watched it develop and then as you say to be able to go back and see it again and again and because it is something that I guess changes and evolves and yeah, that must be really satisfying. Yeah, it, it, I suppose that that period was a, like a transition for me from um, you know working more in forestry to working now in in gardens. Really, that was that sort of halfway mark. And I can when I first left school, I actually worked in in planting a lot of trees in in sort of woodland situations. And I can actually go down back now and see those plantations as almost you know middle aged trees. So 
I mean, that's the great thing about gardening, isn't it? Seeing change and, and particularly the longer you stay in one place or you can visit, you know, you, you really do see the fruits of your labor, whatever kind of gardening you're doing. I think especially in a kitchen garden or, or in your kind of home back garden, um, you're maybe seeing a, a small um, difference each year. But when you're able to go back years and years afterwards, it must be pretty cool to see and think I was a part of this and I was a part of changing this landscape and, and that kind of thing. Is that true? I think so. I mean, but but there's always progress, and I think progress comes in different forms. So in a in a kitchen garden, you know, it might be more subtle things that, but you'll still know them. You'll still see them when you're actually working there. So it may be, you know, as, as you see the soil structure improve, or you know, you, you're, you're eliminating some of the more pernicious weeds that you you know you were confronted with when you first arrived or mm-hmm. you know that or, or or sometimes it's the physical structure so you might be improving the walling or or you know the propagation facilities there's there's always there's always you know signs and and and, and incentives to um you know and and and, and things that, that 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 reward you for for effort and i think you know whatever kind of garden you're in they those things are different but you know they're just as significant um, and what has been one of the things that you've been most proud of um, in your National Trust career? Well, I think in the National Trust career, I mean, one of, one of the one of the roles that I do is um, is plant recording. You know, we we have an amazing collection of of plants for all our gardens, over two hundred gardens. Some of some incredibly rare plants, but also you know plants that are, are just phenomenal individual plants and. Um, it, one of the one of the things we try to do is have a, have a really good understanding of those things, so that we can ensure that they're being propagated and renewed and, and distributed to mm-hmm. give them security. So, yeah, we've we've made quite a lot of improvements to the way we record plants essentially, but yeah. also supporting gardeners um, to have the, have the knowledge and skills to do that as well. As well as plant health is a big issue for us as well. You know, improving improving biosecurity and plant health. And I suppose as as people progress through their career, you know, you you gain satisfaction from from different kinds of things. And I suppose now, I probably you know helping gardeners doing their jobs. I mean, I, I'm always all inspired and and sort of awed by 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 the level of skills that some gardeners have and well most most gardeners to be honest um and and gaining satisfaction from 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 helping them is 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 the thing that really you know i i'm really uh, uh love to do now yeah mm. yeah and that that sense of community is one of the really lovely things about gardening isn't it the fact that everybody can learn something from everybody else and the exchange of information and everything i think is such a lovely thing yeah because gardening is such a diverse thing isn't it no, nobody knows nobody knows everything and and you know i've i've been on a fairly steep learning curve at various points in my career when i've changed jobs and and um yeah so it just just and and what individuals you know see in some gardens so we've got a, we've got a real um expert in ferns up at Sizer, um, up in up in the Lake District, who and we've now established one of the national collections of ferns. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you know that that individual interest in particular areas um, mm-hmm. is 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 always amazes me. Um, so not everything goes to plan, as you say. You've been on a steep learning curve, and I'm sure that's the same for a lot of people listening right now. So um, have there been any things that really stuck out in your memory as being things that just didn't go to plan at all? Um, that you perhaps learned from well there's some you know there's 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 always lots of failures in, in all gardeners' careers yeah I, I look at looking way back i when i was when I was a boy i mean I started sort of 
my my interest in plants and wildlife sort of predated really my interest in gardens. But um, one of, one of the I remember one of the plants that really fascinated me as a boy was um, I loved um, horsetails. You know, equisetum. I, I loved yeah. them because they they also got such an ancient sort of prehistoric look about them, like some of the pictures you see about you know. Um, forests in the past and, and I remember wanting to grow them and this is, sounds incredible doesn't it because for most gardeners it's the kind of bane of their life for uh, horsetails <laughs> and I remember trying to trying to plant them so it's right it, I don't know whether it's, it's funny on that now or embarrassing but I I remember trying to plant them in my dad's garden so thankfully it completely <laughs> failed because you know if, if they'd established I, I'd never heard the last of it but you know, I tried to I tried to create a little water garden in the corner of, corner of a garden but they wouldn't grow even though they grew everywhere else they wouldn't grow where I wanted them to so there you go. There's a there's a, a probably a fortunate failure from my uh, gardening <laughs> yeah. past. And also, was that a, was that a fail or was that your dad intervening well, with I not know, wanting yeah. that in his garden? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could have been, but it could have been. But I think I, I think it was probably just my failure. Yeah. I think there's something really lovely about that though, because I think it goes to show that every plant has an appeal to somebody. Yes. It might look like a weed to some people, but. Actually, all plants have a redeeming feature, at least. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's all about where, where they are as well. as uh, I love Herb Robert. I get it coming up all over my garden and people come come along sometimes and pull it up and I have to tell them off and say, no, I like it there. I don't <laughs> want it there, but I like it there. You know, it's, um, it's an amazing plant. And sometimes, you, you know, you just have to admire some plants, even if they're a bit of a, a nuisance. You know, you do have to admire them for their persistence and yes. you know, the, some of their strategies of survival. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned sort of your interest in in horticulture starting, but who would you say was your biggest influence when you were getting into gardening? Well, it's um, I, my family wasn't you know we weren't they weren't really big on gardening particularly you know they were the kind of suburban gardeners who uh, my mum and dad who you know mowed the lawn and had a border but they were they weren't really you know what I'd call avid gardeners but. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I I think when I was a when I was a boy particularly I you know I, I really wanted to get out and about and uh, I wasn't particularly keen on study or school and I, I remember sp- I spent a lot of my time on a farm when I was young and it, that was the first time where I actually saw people growing um growing crops to eat mm. you know it, that was I think they were largely subsistence farmers actually and uh, so I then th- they never paid me so I used to get paid in sort of eggs and um and vegetables and fruit and things you know and I can remember sort of rocking along home on my bicycle with with you know bags of vegetables as payment <laughs> hung over the handlebars so that was probably that was probably my first influence you know we, we used to pick the pick the fruit for customers and um but but a lot of it got eaten on the farm and, and that was I guess that was my first sort of exposure to actually where where your food came from and, and growing it as you needed it and, and also the important thing about growing you know the things you want to eat yourself yeah. you know it's not just a crop it's actually you know grow grow what you like yeah, yeah. so that, that probably that that period of of working um casually on, on on farms around where I live or one particular farm was was probably the biggest influence yeah and if you could give any new growers one key piece of advice what would you say to them? Well, I think, as well as you know what I've just said about grow, grow what you want to use, what you want to. to I think it's it's probably um, to have a go and not be put off by all the things that you could possibly do wrong. And I think, you know, it's as true in gardening as it is in in other things. I think we, you know, we become 
so many so many pursuits and activities you know there's a set of rules and there's a nowadays there's a whole set of equipment as well yeah. um and you know if you if you read too much before you jump in you're just going to persuade yourself that you're never going to be very good at this or you're never going to have quite the right equipment um and so i would say seeds you know have evolved over millions of years to to grow and they want they, they want to grow you know plants want to grow um you, you you'll never get everything right but take advice from people who know read a few books but don't you know also have a go because you you know you will have more successes than failures um so don't get put off by by too much information yeah Definitely. And what we what we always say on the dirt is that one of the one of the greatest things about gardening is there's always next year as well, isn't there? That if something doesn't go quite right the first time you try it, you get another go at it next year. Absolutely. And 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 no no single year is gonna be right for all kinds of all kinds of crops, is it? So, you know, you're never gonna succeed every year with everything. Um, but um yeah, I mean you've just got to grow what you want, grow a variety of things, and you will always have some successes and some lessons. I sometimes do work with young people, and they they, they, they use the term fail to mean first attempt in learning. Oh, so oh, there you great. go. It's um, <laughs> I, like, I like that little I like that little saying, and it, it's, it's true for gardening as it is for all other pursuits in life. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, thank you very much for answering those questions about your gardening experiences but now it's time for the big garden clinic where Simon you will be answering some of the burning questions sent in by our listeners okay and if anybody at home is listening now and you have a gardening query that you would like us to put to Simon in future weeks then get in touch on our social media channels or you can send us an email on the dirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk but we've had some already. Um, the first question has come from, and I hope I'm going to pronounce this okay, a Castery, who asks, how do you prune a cherry tree? Because mine is growing taller every year, but with fewer harvests. Right. So um, I'm assuming from that we're talking about, you know, a harvest, uh, a fruiting cherry tree. So they want to, to harvest the fruit. Um, I think like, like pruning many fruit trees, the, the, the objectives really are to, for opening up the crown, getting plenty of light, um, space for the fruit to grow, but also for convenience of, of harvesting. Um, you know, a lot of apple pruning is, is there to, for convenience really. And it's no good having, it's no good having fruit sort of 30 feet in the air if, if you haven't got any way of getting up and picking it. Um, and also the, the higher the crown, the more shading you get. So I would say, Timing with cherry trees is is very important for most for most trees. We often talk about pruning in dormant seasons, but with with cherries, it, most of the time, nearly always, in fact, it's much better to prune in in the summer, in high summer, really, because cherries are highly susceptible to a number of bacterial and fungal diseases, and, mm -hmm. and actually, they're much better able to combat those if you if you if you prune them when they're active in say July. So, um, in order to lower the the height. Um, you know, you, you can, you can simply, you know, cut back the, the, the leading stem, not, not right back and, and then try to encourage a number, perhaps three or four or five of the side branches to, to create more of a bowl shape to the tree. Um, we have, I've already mentioned the, you know, the problems with bacterial and fungal diseases on cherries. So sterilizing tools is important using mm. usually usually both usually um pruning saws or loppers or or or, or secateurs depending on the size of the wound but like all pruning it's best to do 
little and often really to avoid big big wounds because that you know those are the areas that tend to be those are the ones that tend to get infected so um, it may well be if if this if this tree has already got very large is to try to reduce it over a number of stages but mm. but just trying to remove those crossing branches branches that have a tendency to go head back towards the main stem um, dead limbs but just open it up i mean it's there there's all sorts of there's all sorts of um you know advice and rule and rules about this but actually most people don't you'll find that different people do it differently. And, and, you know, if you follow simple principles, you can't go really far wrong. I think pruning is one of those things as well that people just, um, it feels like a really daunting task. And I don't know what it is about it, but it just, um, people put it off, I think, quite a lot. I don't know if that's your experience as well. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, because there's a fear of getting it wrong. And, um, but there are just some fairly simple rules, you know, try to keep cuts small, do it at the right time. Um, try not to leave stubs, you know, ends of branches that are going to mm-hmm. be more likely to, to die or become infected. So cut back to a lateral branch, you know, that's a general rule, really, and pruning all sorts of shrubs and, and trees. But I think you're right, you know, there is a great fear of getting it wrong. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I think there there is no absolutely hard and fast right and wrong mm-hmm. and actually you know as long as long as you you follow simple simple very broad rules i think most people will be fine yeah yeah um this next question that has been sent in by sarah who contacted us by email um looks like we planned this we'd just like to say we didn't <laughs> <laughs> she has asked what is the best way of getting rid of horsetail Oh wow! Well, I'm the expert on that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually, no. It's it's actually quite difficult. Um, I often think it's a bit like bindweed. You know, it's one of those things that um, it, it, you know, it's a very clever plant. It, it's going to do everything it can to to not be removed, and it's evolved to have these big big roots and persistent roots that are difficult to get out. Mm-hmm. So I think the two things are you've got to be very persistent, you've got to be determined, and you've got to keep at it. Um, you can dig it out as much of the of the, the suckering roots as you can, um, but really it is about persistence and it is about digging quite deep and, and trying to get as much of the root out as you can. Um, and but, but also like bindweed, you know, no plant can carry on forever without, without any kind of, you know, above ground photosynthetic um, you know, leaves basically. So if you do keep on removing and removing and removing, um, you know, it will weaken it and it will, you know, go away in the end, but you've just got to be really persistent and determined. So then our next question um, was sent in by Donald who got in touch via email and he asked, well, his email said, I sowed my tomatoes at the same time as my plot neighbours and they had almost identical care, but mine ripened really late. There are still some fruits hanging on now, which are looking very sorry for themselves. So what might I have done wrong? Yeah, I know a lot of people uh, struggled with tomatoes this year, didn't they? Partly because of disease. But the thing really, that, that I mean, the most, the most important thing that determines um, ripening time um, is the variety, you know, different different varieties of tomatoes ripen at different paces and different times, which is which is one of their benefits. You know, if you want a, a succession of fruit, it is best to plant different varieties. Uh, but also, you know, how much sun and warmth they get. So it may well be that you know yours have been in a slightly different position. They've maybe got less sun. Um, so you know, it's not it's not easy to know exactly. Um, also. 
you know, if 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 plants have been through a period of drought or stress, you know, that can mm. that can delay fruiting and development of the fruit and ripening. Um, but but in any case, it's normal to quite normal at this time of year still to have some fruits hanging on late into the you know, the colder weather, um, and and um, it's still still possible to pick them and bring them into the house and ripen them on a you know a windowsill or something or you know some somewhere somewhere reasonably warm where they can just ripen and you can still use them. I'm always surprised by how effective that can be as well. You sort of pick them up and they're still green, like don't look like they're going to ripen at all, and they usually do if you you sort of persist with them so yeah and some people suggest putting them with with ripe fruit don't they mixing yes. them in, the, in a paper bag or something so that you know the 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 the, the hormones um present on one influence the other and um yeah. yeah they ripen more more quickly so yes all those things are quite possible and also if all else fails green tomato chutney <laughs> there is green tomato chutney exactly yes and see yeah <laughs> That's your answer for everything, is there not? <laughs> I know. Like, I will cook with it. I don't care yeah. what it is. With I'm going to be using it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for answering the question, Simon. And we'll look forward to having you back again on the next episode. And if you're listening at home and you've got a burning question that you want to ask Simon, then don't forget to get in contact on our social media channels or by sending us an email, which is at the dirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk. Um, But for now, Laura, shall we grab a cuppa and then we'll be back after this. This mini series of The Dirt is in association with the National Trust. The National Trust is a conservation charity founded in 1895 by three people, Octavia Hill, Sir Robert Hunter and Hardwick Rawnsley, who saw the importance of the nation's heritage and open spaces, and wanted to preserve them for everyone to enjoy. This year, the charity celebrates its 125th anniversary, and these values are still at the heart of everything it does. To help mark this significant moment in its history, the Trust has committed to achieving a net zero carbon emissions by 2030, and establishing 20 million trees to help tackle climate change. Entirely independent of the government, the National Trust looks after more than 250,000 hectares of countryside, 780 miles of coastline and hundreds of special places all across England, Wales and Northern Ireland. As Europe's largest conservation charity, the National Trust receives around 27 million visits each year to the places it cares for that have an entry fee and an estimated 100 million visits to the outdoor places looked after by the charity. Together with 5.6 million members and more than 65,000 volunteers, these visitors help to support the conservation charity in its vital work. The National Trust is delighted to offer the Dirt listeners a 10% discount on its online shop where you'll find loads of gardening tools and accessories as well as books, stationery, clothes, toys, food and drink and much more. Simply use the code NTGROW10 at the checkout when you visit nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash shop until the end of the year. That's N-T-G-R-O-W-1-0. And you can check out the episode notes for full details and terms. All income generated through the online shop supports the work the National Trust does to care for nature, beauty and history. For everyone, forever. Hey! 
Hello, Blake, and hello, Rose. How are you both Hi. doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good and excited to get stuck into this brand new segment. What on earth is that? <gasps> what on earth? <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess listeners are probably wondering what on earth is what on earth. What this is going to be is <laughs> um, we are putting out a few strange gardening questions, some things about funny injuries, strange experiences. We're going to give you a little bit of insight into our own gardening experiences. And then what we would like to do is we would like to hear from you, the listeners, and hear your answers to these questions, which we will read out in the same segment next episode. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yes. Shall we dive straight in? I'm acting like this is the first I've heard of it, even though obviously I knew this was going to happen. But yeah. <laughs> Listeners, Blake's been napping. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us with the first theme. Yeah. Okay. So this can be you or someone you know, if they don't mind their secrets being shared. What has been your strangest gardening injury? I do have one. It's actually from my dad. Mm. So when he was younger, I think it was either a chestnut or a walnut tree that they had in their garden. Mm. Um, and he thought he really wanted to get the chestnuts and the walnut tree, chestnuts or the walnuts down from the tree. Not sure which tree. So he thought it would be a really good idea to get a brick and tie a string to a brick. <sighs> and then throw the brick up into the tree <laughs> oh, no. to get the walnuts or the chestnuts out. This already sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, really not very good. He, I think the brick came whizzing down back into his <laughs> oh head. I think it did not come out. And he, he, got, uh, he did survive, obviously, because uh, he told <laughs> story, um, with uh, just a scar on his eyebrow. But moral of the story is don't, tie a brick to a piece of string and throw it up into a tree because it's going to come back down on your head let's <laughs> oh my be honest goodness. um also i'm not really sure how he had the strength i don't think i could throw a brick into a tree <laughs> also the fact that it was attached to string just makes it more likely to come back at you doesn't yeah. it yeah so that's the only one i have to offer but i thought that's a good that one. is a really yeah. good one yeah yeah i mean not at the time but no. in hindsight now. It's so dangerous as well. Like, do not do that. That is a, a terrible <laughs> idea. I think when his mum found him, my nan, she was like, what the hell are you been doing? Like, why did you do that? I think we should add a, as you say, Rose, a solid GYO disclaimer. Do not yeah. try this at home. No. Yeah. I feel like this whole section needs to be don't do this because it's not going to go yeah. well. I mean, there must be a whole episode that we could do on clumsy dad things because my dad has had so many gardening injuries. I can't. Oh even yeah. begin to tell you I would say though my only one that really sticks out to me and it's because it, I mean fair warning it's a little bit gross um <laughs> when I first got my house the garden hadn't really had an awful lot done to it by the previous people so we're talking stuff that was done to it, it was probably done a fair while before I was digging over um a bit of the garden where I wanted to plant some stuff and as we've touched on on the podcast numerous times before the debates of gloves or no gloves um I am not a glove wearer so I was there in the dirt with my bare hands suddenly thought ouch 
what is going on here, oh, lifted no. my hand up. And you know those plastic plant labels that have like, the only way I can think of describing it is like little arrows down the down the bit that you stick in oh, yeah. the ground. And that was in my hand. Oh. And obviously because they're arrow shaped, pulling it out oh, no. was quite painful. And there was a little while after that, I will confess, where I thought, do you know what? These people that have been saying wear gardening gloves, they're right. But that practice has fallen by the wayside a little bit now. That's why I always wear gloves. Mm. Yeah. The stories of poison ivy getting on your skin just scares me or something like that and then coming out in hives. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not good. Not good at all. Um <laughs> Another thing that I was wondering, and I think, Blake, there is an answer to this question from you that we may have may have chatted about before. Have you had any surprise harvests on the plot or in your garden or wherever? Do you know what? Um, I will say that I had completely given up on my aubergine plants because I was just like, they're flowering, but nothing's happening should probably just dig them up. This is it. All of a sudden, in about about the start of September, this little aubergine appeared, just one. I know this isn't actually an accidental harvest, but it's a um a To you it was. Harvest. It was. It was I wasn't expecting it at all. It was yeah. really unexpected. I was like, I had just completely given up on them. Yeah, this one little aubergine came along, oh. just kept watering and feeding it and just trying to fatten it up a bit. And last weekend picked it. Yeah, amazing. Oh, How awesome. did you cook it? Um, I roasted it actually just because I just thought whenever I cook aubergine, that's the best way to do it, I think. Nice. So yeah. it was tasty. Nice. My cucumber plant was the same actually because I did not think that I would produce cucumbers and I did produce, I think I only had like one or two, but um, for my first try, I feel like that was an accidental harvest because I was all fully good. anticipating it to die. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have a good track record. I shouldn't really say this. I mean, I, I'm trying. I'm trying and I'm getting better. So <laughs> That's all any of yeah. us are doing, Rose. You're doing great. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I had a weird one, actually, but I think I've narrowed down where it came from. Um, I had a random kohlrabi growing in my garden. What? And you know how that's not the sort of thing that in a, that in a domestic garden you don't tend to just get. Like if it's something like, I don't know, some sort of flower, you think, oh, maybe the seeds blew mm. over or something. But a kohlrabi in a domestic garden is strange. Yeah. And it was one individual kohlrabi. I think what might have happened is... When we were doing our initial photo shoot at my dad's allotment for Grow with GYO, we sowed some kohlrabi, didn't we? Yes. And then I planted a couple of the tomato. Once the once the tomatoes had germinated, I planted a couple of them in my garden. So I wonder if there was a rogue kohlrabi seed in with the tomatoes somewhere. Mm. but yeah there was a rogue kohlrabi and I did nothing to it and it was amazing that must have been quite unusual to see or weird to see because they look like little aliens don't they so it's probably <laughs> yeah. the first time so you if like, you didn't well, know what, what it was that? you'd be like yeah. what yeah like, like what yeah. is this really but weird you know, thing in my garden at first <laughs> I was looking out. at it I was looking at it like I don't 
think I sowed that. And if I did, would I have just sowed one individual kohlrabi seed? I don't think so. And then it started growing. And did I you eat it? Like, yeah, yeah, I did. Oh. Um, I, ma- I matchstick it in a salad and it was really oh. lovely. It was a, I, I would go for more surprise harvests like that, to be honest with you. And obviously I had that sunflower that came up through my patio yes. um, that I've spoken about before. But um, I, t- I got rid of it the other day, but it was really, really pretty and Aww. lovely. And But it just had to go. It was just looking a bit sorry yeah. for itself and, the you know, um, decided it was time to make the decision to get rid of it. But full disclaimer, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, I don't own a pair of secateurs at my house so whenever (laughs) all summer whenever I've been getting rid of spent plants I've been having to take out my kitchen scissors to do it I don't know why I haven't just (laughs) put in the bullet and just like actually just invested in a pair of seconds I don't think you're alone though because in our household like my dad's like where are the scissors and all the time they're in the garden because my mum I feel like she always loses her secretary so she always goes outside with the kitchen scissors and we have to go out like on a scavenger hunt in the garden to try and find the the scissors so I feel like for both of your families uh he might be listening Christmas presents (laughs) um but yeah what I was going to say about this was that this chunky old sunflower that had come up through my uh patio and I tried to slice it with scissors and the kitchen scissors broke oh, so no. there's a real lesson in don't do this you know just buy the proper equipment yeah. and yeah. kit that you need to do the job <laughs> so um yes I need now a pair of kitchen scissors and a pair of secretaries for Christmas please mum ah. um and then our final question for today have you ever been the victim of an accidental garden sabotage now what I mean by this is has somebody ever tried to do something to help you in your garden and it's backfired or has just been in your garden and then accidentally killed some of your plants I definitely did when I was younger my mum had one of these big glass I want to say like terraniums uh, I think that's the right word but it was in the garden and it had loads of like really nice plants in it and I wanted to help her garden when I was younger so I thought it would be a really good idea to help but I ended up smashing the whole thing and it was huge it was like really big and I just I will never forget her face when (laughs) it was almost like you know one of those moments where you just want to like wind back time and it all happens (laughs) like really like in slow motion yeah I just remember it like all of like the whole giant thing because I don't know what was in it I think it was like ferns and like evergreens things like that but it was Mm. so lovely in the garden um yeah I just really wanted to help her garden and I just remember I think I was like playing with a stone and my mum specifically said to me don't do that because you'll break it and I remember (laughs) like just breaking it and her being like oh my god (laughs) oh you always feel so awful as well don't you I know yeah because it probably it was like really old and it probably cost a lot of money I know this isn't related to like actually growing fruit and veg and things like that but no it is an accidental garden sabotage though Every weekend when I was a kid, we used to go to my grandparents and I always really wanted to help out with trimming the hedge because they have these like this really long garden with hedges going either side. And I'd always be like, please let me do this. It was yeah. really fun getting to use this um, strimmer. Um, and the number of times that I was helping and went through the lead, honestly, oh, that I don't know oh, how many you could have electrocuted <laughs> more they had to buy. I know, all well, that too. Is that yeah, garden they... sabotage or is that self-sabotage? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, uh, yeah, that's you always feel really guilty when you do something like that. But, and yeah. you know, when the person's like trying not to be annoyed, yeah. but also you can tell that they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I in I'm going to flip the situation around, and I wasn't the sabotageur. I was the sabotagee in, <laughs> <laughs> in this situation. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. You, yes, okay, because yeah. I messaged when it happened. I messaged everybody. I was like, <laughs> "Is this an appropriate reason to make somebody move out of the house?" I don't know. Um, it was the beginning of the season, and you know that point when you've got your little plants in they're past seedling stage they're going great guns and there's always one that is a bit of an overachiever doing a little bit better than the others at that point one of my tomato plants particularly beautiful a lovely a lovely beefsteak one the plant was beautiful there were some it was the first one to get flowers and tiny tiny little fruits on it um we were in the garden one of our neighbors um as a little boy and had a football had come over the fence. I hadn't paid much attention to it. So I was just, you know, just in the garden there. My partner was out there with me. He decided that he was going to relive his football playing youth. <laughs> you can see where this is going. Decided to do an elaborate like goalkeeper drop kick style thing with the football only it didn't go back over the fence, did it? <laughs> Smashed straight into my tomato plant, <sighs> sheared it completely in half. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I need some time. <laughs> I, and he, yeah. the worst thing was he felt really, really bad about it. Um, but there is a happy ending to the story because, you know what I'm going to say here because we talk about it so much, but because I neglect to pinch outside <laughs> shoots most of the time, the bottom half of the plant carried on growing. And also, I experimented with rooting the top half, which also rooted, so ended up with two tomato plants instead of one. You're the real winner here. It was meant to happen. Mm. You got- I mean, was it sabotage or not? I, I don't know. Do we think that was sabotage? <laughs> I feel like the universe ugh, told you to... It all worked out for the better because you got more in the it end. It did. This yeah. is true. And you're finally at peace with it now. You're, you know. I can speak to him again <laughs> yeah, if that's what you mean. You've moved on. You've moved through all the stages of that. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say this reminds me of, um, do you ever used to watch that show as a kid called Trapped with like the secret saboteur? <laughs> it reminds me of that. Someone's like yeah, going in your garden used like you've got, a cha- you've got a challenge. You've got to sabotage but can't know it's you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, maybe we should bring that into a later series yeah. of the day. I don't know how exactly we'd do it. Set but... someone like a challenge, like your challenge this week is to go around and steal someone's cucumber plant. <laughs> Actually, no, don't. That's a really bad idea. Yeah, we're giving bad advice at this point. Yeah, no, don't steal. Don't what steal. on earth, Rose? What, what on earth? earth? Yeah. Um, what have I become? Well, this has been really, really fun. But now, listeners, we want to hear from you. We would love to hear your funny garden injuries, your surprise crops, and your garden sabotages. Oh, I bet there sabotages. are some really great stories out there. Yeah. So get in touch um, either via email or um, on our social media channels, and we will read the best ones out on the next episode of The Dirt. But for now... We just have a little winter garden checklist for you. (laughs) 
If you're itching to get some crops in the ground this month, the good news is you can. Garlic cloves and onion sets can both be planted. You just need to make sure your ground is well prepared and free draining in advance. It may not be one of the most fun jobs in the gardener's year, but it's the perfect time now to wipe down and sterilise your greenhouse staging. And it's also a great opportunity to give the greenhouse a good check over, replacing or repairing any damage as you do. In the same way we put on our jumpers and jackets this month, plants may want a little extra warmth too. Clushes, fleeces and cold frames are all great options to keep your crops insulated, as well as offering protection from pests like slugs. That's all for now. We hope you're staying warm on the plot and we'll be back again the week after next. Until then, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to this mini series of The Dirt. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to spread the word at your allotment site. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote gpod7 to receive seven issues of Grow Your Own straight to your door for just twenty nine ninety nine. That's a saving of $11.94. Every issue is packed with gardening advice, expert tips and tricks and jobs to tick off your list. And each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And a final exciting note. Keep an eye on our social media platforms to see the questions we'll be discussing in next episode's What on Earth section. Reply with your answers and you could appear on the show. The weirder and wackier the better.